sitting there staring at each other wearing Hans and Franz shirts all night. <laughs> I got Winston. <clears throat> Hans and that, Franz wore sweats, like gray sweats, so that would have been okay. Yeah, I guess so. This is... You're it's hot, John. Like it's hot. Can yeah. you hold it in your stomach all night? I don't know. I don't think I can. He's holding it like he's pregnant. I can't hold mine in all night. I just can't. <laughs> oh, I, I, that's a constant life we'll just, for me. We'll practice good posture so we don't look... <laughs> posture kings and posture queens. That's, that's what they used to tell us in school when they had the old posture class. And we're live. With Paranormal Dash Spirits, the place we come to get our booze on. We talk about the booze, the things that go bump in the night. And I get to do that with all my booze. I'm Mike Black. I have with me the lovely and delicious Alyssa Black. Delicious, huh? <laughs> Hello. The sexy... <laughs> <laughs> and Hans- modest. Handsome, extraordinaire, and modest. <laughs> Best friend sidekick, John Burkett. <laughs> He's your, he's your, real awkward right He's now. your breast friend today. <laughs> so, like we, we promised if we could get to 100 subscribers on YouTube that we would wear the Racerback tees from our website, from uh, our swag site. And so, it was the very next day when I checked the subscriptions, we were up to like 106. So these are double XLs. They are skin they, tight. They are. <clears throat> so I mean, and, and they're very tight. My moves are showing. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, true to our word, we're sticking to it, and we're wearing our Racerback tees for this show. So if you're on the, if you're listening on the podcast, <laughs> make sure you're lucky. Make sure you get on YouTube and check us out. And when you get there, go ahead and subscribe. <laughs> Where right. can they find us at, dear? I'm getting to that. So let me tell you what we're going to talk about tonight first. So on November 5th, 1975, and now that's almost 50 years ago. If you're doing the math, it's 48, 48. 48 years. 22-year-old logger was abducted by aliens, kept for five days, and these men have never changed their story. They've never wavered. They've passed multiple polygraph tests and administered by some of the best examiners in the nation. This is probably one of the most credible and believable UFO abduction cases ever documented. And we'll get to why uh, later. But, uh, I mean, incredible story. And we're going to get to that. But first, like always, the places that you can check us out and go see us on the web. Uh, We've got YouTube. Uh, on YouTube, we are 3B Paranormal Spirits. It's like digging into my... <laughs> <laughs> on YouTube, we are 3B Paranormal Spirits. Uh, if you go to check us out on TikTok, we are paranormal underscore, spelled out dash underscore spirits. That's for Instagram and X or formerly known as Twitter. It's the same name for all three of those. We also have a website. Our website is um, paranormal-spirits.com. And if you go there, that's a landing page. You can get to everything. You can get to our liquor reviews. You can get to all of our um, all of our other media. 
you can get to our swag store, which is Boozy Boutique. And on our swag store, you can pick up these cool racerback tees that we're all wearing tonight. Alyssa joined in with John and I wearing I the racerback. you way less than we do. I've got squeaky, squeaky. <laughs> she looks, she looks a lot hotter in hers than we do in ours. Uh, but you can go there and you can pick that up from our. Uh, There's normal fitting stuff there too. Our website. So, <laughs> so tonight, no different than any other night, we start off the show because it's about spirits. We're going to start it off with spirits, and tonight we are drinking a tequila. John, tell us about this tequila. It's Don Roberto, 1924. This is a Reposado handcrafted ultra premium. Uh, Agave fields after ripening for 10 months in American white oak barrels, we obtain an exquisite producto. Producto. That's what it says. (laughs) Giving perfectly harmonized flavors between woods and agave with subtle notes of... I won't read them until we try it. It's also women should not consume this if they're pregnant. It says that on the bottle, too. I shouldn't consume that if I'm driving. Uh, Here's what I like about Don Roberto. (laughs) The wobbly bottle? The wobble. I don't think that that was... That is a hand-blown glass... This, this bottle will not stand straight up. I think that's just an imperfection in the bottle. Let's hope that the contents... It's a weebelow. <laughs> Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. wobble, but they don't fall down. Let's hope that the content of that bottle is better than the bottle itself. Smells interesting. Well, it came, it came again, highly recommended. So... We ready? Mm-hmm. I've got my nose on this. This is really nice, I think. Okay. Cilantro? Cilantro. Cilantro. <laughs> Tastes like wine, almost. It's definitely aged and rested in wine barrels. White wine. Subtle notes of apple, coconut, rosemary, what? vanilla. This is the Reposado, correct? I believe so. Yes. Yes. It is a Reposado. I get... I could taste the apple. I get apple. You guys don't get apple? Actually, it may be because you said apple. Oh. Yeah, that always happens. But I do taste the apple. That's why I didn't say anything first. It's smooth as silk. It's very smooth. It's Yeah, that is a very smooth tequila. No, that's thick too. Yeah, great legs on it. Great legs, actually. That's like you would see from... Like a, a really nice scotch or whiskey. Like old, old scotch. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I like it. So it's I good. You, it's it, got some great agave to it as well. There's no artificial flavors in that Mm-mm. at all. No, you can taste the agave, 
but it's it does it's not like kick you in the back of the throat agave. Mm-mm. It's not like G four or Ocho. No, it's rounded out quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But Don't hate on G four. No, no, I'm I not. G4. I'm just saying G4 that. I think what he's referring to <clears throat> is the fact that the bottle, or I'm sorry, the barrel, has softened. Yeah, a it bit. has softened some of the bite out of it. Yeah, yeah I think I so. Like, I like it to bite, but that's very smooth. I mean, it's not. It's good. It's very good. I like that there is no artificial flavor in that. I'm not getting beat over the head with with a fake, stick fake of vanilla, vanilla and vanilla, you know, yeah. with vanilla beans that are clearly extract. I love it. I really do. I think we selected a a good B double O Z E. So let's talk about the B double O S. Let's do. Okay, so I told you about this kid who got abducted by an alien or by aliens. Twenty two year old logger, um, working. Uh, he was out of North Flake. I'm sorry, Snowflake, Arizona, and his name was Travis Walton. Now, Travis was considered a bit of a rebel. He was, I guess, kind of a bad boy in his hometown. And not so much bad, but just, you know, more adventurous and stuff. He, um, everybody seemed to love him. He rode bulls. He was a boxer, rode his loud Harley Davidson around. Uh, through town, stirring up stuff, bit of a hellraiser, and but he was that kind of guy that you would want standing next to you at a pasture party, you know, because he was cool. Oh, you know, but at the same time, it was also the kind of guy you'd want standing next to you if you were in a bar brawl because, <laughs> you know, evidently he he didn't mind fighting. And uh, one of the stories uh, that's told about Travis when he was younger. He was out riding around with his buddies through the woods, and they're up in the you know the mountains. And um, so, anyway, as they're riding along, this bear runs out into the road and just stopped right in front of the car. Well, they said Travis, without even thinking, just jumps out of the car and starts hollering and chasing after this bear, and it scared the bear. And the bear ran up into the woods. Was this black or brown? Because I, it did, you know. Specifics weren't given on that story. <laughs> I don't know what lives in Arizona. I, it's probably black, I would imagine. I imagine. Not brown bear. But regardless, bear period, you know, to jump out of a, the safety of a car and go chasing after the bear. Now, here's my guess. I'm guessing he was probably drunk or drinking, you know, maybe under the influence of Don Roberto Reposado tequila <laughs> or something, you know. Could be since 1924. So, you know, it would have been. Hey, you know, it could have been. Um, anyway, he so he was... Quite the character, evidently. He wasn't afraid to charge forward in those kind of situations. So Travis went to work for his friend, Mike Rogers. And Mike contracted a thinning service for the Forest Service. Now, thinning is where they go in and they cut out the underbrush. And what that does is reduce... Forest fires. Yeah, for forest fires. It reduces the amount of... Sometimes they're called uh, fuel cuts, I think. And what they do, they reduce the amount of fuel for the fire by cutting out all the underbrush and um, helps cut down the wildfires plus it helps the other trees uh, helps them grow because they're not hindered by all the underbrush around them and Mike had Mike Rogers had just received the largest contract he had ever gotten it was over 1200 acres I think it was like 
1,277, if memory serves, acres of trees to be cut. And Mike had been doing this for, uh, I think, around nine or ten years at the time um, in 1975. So he'd gotten pretty good at knowing the price point uh, per acre, so he would know how to bid it against the competition and still make a profit and be able to underbid them. He ran a crew of six men, including Travis Walton, Ken Peterson, John Goulet, Steve Pierce, Alan Dallas, and Dwayne Smith. On November 5th, 1975, they had worked all day in the Apache Site Greaves National Forest. Sunny fall day, they'd been cutting a fuel reduction strip uh, where they cut the smaller trees back and stacked them to be burnt by the Forest Service during the wet season. So they had worked all day out there. They were tired. It's time to go home, but they're energized because, you know, he said they, they talked about uh, in a few interviews that I watched where whenever they would ride into work, they were always like Chatty Cathy, you know, going into work. And you would think that leaving work, they'd be like, oh, my God, I just, you know, cut trees all day. But no, these guys, they were always energized when they left work. So they're they're talking about what they're going to do that night. And, you know, uh, but they left about 6 p.m. So it just, just starting to get dark. They loaded up their chainsaws and climbed into Mike Rogers' Double Cab 65 International Truck. And if you've never seen one of those, I'm going to go ahead and put up a picture because it's... They're sweet. Uh, I would put it right there with a the Dodge of that same period, and they're ugly. I think. I, well, I, think. I mean, I like the Scout. Oh, do you? Oh, okay. Scout. Yeah, but I the, think the they're trucks ugly. are kind of cool, but they're not. They're not '71 Chevy truck. Oh no, 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 no! They're not that cool the at most all. Beautiful pickup truck ever made. <laughs> 1971 Chevy. <laughs> okay. So anyway, they left the job site. Uh, they climbed in the truck. They started up the the fire roads heading north uh, towards a ridge. And at the top of the ridge is a road there that leads back into town called Rim Road. And so they they figured they would be there uh, or would get home about 730. Uh, Mike was driving. Ken was in the middle. And Travis had the passenger seat up front. And none of these guys smoked. All the other guys smoked. So they would sit in the back and chief it up. While these okay, <laughs> while these guys would sit up front and breathe the, the clean fresh, air, the fresh clean air coming into the windows of the pickup truck, and as they're driving along, they notice off to the right, they see a light up ahead that's uh, not normal, and it's really bright. So they all started kind of taking notice of it. You know, one guy's looking, another guy starts looking. You know, and next thing, everything, everybody's looking at this thing. And they're trying to figure out what it is. And somebody said, well, hey, you know, that's we, we got a full moon or it's almost full. So that's probably the moon. And then it's like, no, one of the guys canceled that out. He said the moon's on the on the left side. And sure enough, there it was, you know, shining through the trees on the left was the moon. Um, and then somebody suggested, well, maybe it's a hunter, you know, and it's a fire they got going. And or maybe, you know, it's a. a a forest fire starting up and what color was the light uh it was a golden color they said so like a fire like a fire like yeah. you would see like orange fire in the sky yeah. oh yeah, my god did you just allude sky. to the movie like i did 
But you, you made it so obvious. Well, yeah, I, I did a fourth wall break. <laughs> he, goes, he looks at the camera and goes, fire in the sky, baby. I love that. <laughs> Break the fourth wall. Right. Acknowledge. Uh, I don't think we have a fourth wall, do we? No, not really. (laughs) I was thinking of that scene in Hot Tub Time Machine where... uh, Where they turn and look. Craig, Craig, uh, you know, uh, the guy from the office that Daryl, he looks like he was... Could it be a Hot Tub Time Machine? Looks right at the camera. Oh, my (laughs) God. All right, so they... uh, they decided it wasn't the moon. It wasn't a fire because there was no smoke coming from it. And Dwayne noticed, and he said, hey, that light is actually above the ridge line up ahead. He said, it's not like on the ground. It's, he said, that's above the ridge line. And the, uh, somebody suggested maybe it's a plane that had crashed and got stuck in the trees. Uh, Very small a, plane. Small plane. Maybe it got stuck in the trees, you know, and we're seeing the light from that. And um, so anyway, they, they get up there and there's a clearing up ahead and off to the right. So Mike turns his truck into the fire break that leads up the ridge to that, that clearing. And John is the one that screams out, stop, stop the truck. Truck slides to a stop. And Alan yells out, my God, it's a flying saucer. So they, when they stopped, they were not very far from this thing. It was a large disc-like uh, machine hovering stationary just a few feet above the nearby trees. Um, they were actually close enough to see the appearance of this thing. And it's got this beautiful, glassy, metallic-looking thing and it had these panels of light underneath it they looked up and you could see the the lights underneath it as it shined down and that's where the glow was coming from that they saw uh no no hatches no antennas sticking out no portals with people sticking their heads out or anything like that this thing was they were only uh, about 90 feet from this thing about 30 yards away from it when they stopped so this thing is just hovering, you know, just above the trees there. Said it was about eight feet tall or thick, if you want to, top to bottom, and about 20 foot in diameter. Sorry. So it's it's not a huge, it's not a huge no, craft. that's a scout ship. <laughs> eight feet tall is really not that big. Uh-uh. Well, I mean, the... The guys in it are only this tall, though, right? Tall, so. <laughs> well, I know. I'm just... I know. <clears throat> Yeah, but it wasn't, no, it wasn't very thick. So anyway, Travis, of course, like the bear, he jumps completely out of the truck and starts heading towards this thing. And the other guys are, are they're kind of whisper yelling at him, Travis, Travis, get back, get back. The f- you doing? You know, Travis is, he's going for this, the saucer. And said he turned around and looked at the other guys uh, but in his mind, he's thinking, this is a chance of a lifetime. I'm never going to get a chance to get this close to something like this again. And so he, he they said he kind of grinned at him and just kept going and took off for the, the, uh, the craft. So as he's um, walking up to this craft, he notices this thing. At first, it was making no noise at all, and it started with this high and low-pitched mechanical sounds 
And he described it as being, and I'm using air quotes here for those who can't see, it was so mixed up, there was nothing that they could uh, compare the sounds to. They'd never heard anything like this before. And um, so as he's walking up, suddenly the volume increases and it it kind of wobbled a little bit when the volume increased. Like this bottle. Like that bottle. And um, Travis would later say it sounded like huge jet engine turbines spinning up, uh, but there was no wind or anything like that, just the sound. So Mike Rogers yells at Travis again, Travis, get away from there. Travis turned back and looked at the truck, but quickly looked back at the craft uh, suspended there in front of him. He turns back around towards the craft, and when he did, there was a bolt. And now, Travis didn't tell what color it was because he never saw it. The guys in the truck saw it. They said it was a bluish-green light that came off the bottom of this craft and hit him full-on in the chest and the face. They said it's about a, about a foot wide, this, this is light. Boom. When it hit him, it knocked him back. In the air, he said his arms flew back like this, and his head flew back, and it literally pushed him backwards, um, like 10 foot onto the ground. He landed on the shoulder, landed really hard. Mike Rogers would later say in an interview with um, Larry King, it looked as if some like somebody had thrown a grenade in front of him, and the grenade blew up and blew him back. It was that fast and furious, uh, the way he flew away from it. Um, anyway, he was laying motionless on the ground there. Of course, the six other guys in the truck are completely freaked out. Steve yells out, it got him, it got him. And Dwayne, uh, one of the other guys, screams, let's get out of here. Uh, Alan is shrieking hysterically, get this son of a bitch moving, uh, referring to the truck, I assume. You had a question. I saw it in your eyes. So they left him? Yeah. Little bitches. They left God him. Goddamn. Those yeah. bitches. Just some terrible friends. So later. They're going to run up and grab you and drag you back to the truck. No, no, no. Not these folks. So later, Travis reported that it felt like high voltage electricity had hit him, and he remembers it making a popping and cracking sound when it hit him. Did it have a snap, too? I don't know. It would have been a cereal then. A snap, crackle. But he said he kind of heard this pop crack and then blackness. No thoughts, no feeling, no nothing, just blackness. See, I guess in my mind, it's a story I've heard, you know, but I, I, I assumed, boom, and then he is pulled up in and they witness him being pulled up into the craft. I didn't know. They that, do in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's why it's in my head because of the movie, right? But I didn't know that the assholes left him. Oh, yeah. What they totally sorry, left him. Well, a bunch of sorry sons of bitches. So I would be so mad when I got back from my bush. Like y'all left me laying so, on the ground. Well, I, I'm going to get to that because he 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 acknowledges that they left him later. Mike does. And I would use my newly found alien powers that I got <laughs> to whoop their asses. So newly found yeah, he, alien. He powers. talks about that and explains it. And um, anyway. So the crew jumps in the truck, and Mike is fumbling with the keys, finally gets the engine started, guns it, and gravel's flying. They haul ass down the road. Mike is hollering back at the guys behind him, 
is it following us? And he yells this like several times as it after us, is he following us? And he gets no reply. So he turns around and he looks back at the guys behind him. He said, they're just standing there or sitting there in the truck. And they're all just like, like they've got this dumbfounded, oh my God, look on their face. Their eyes are just staring off and up. They're in, they're in shock, you know? And, um, anyway, they get about a quarter of a mile down the road. Now, this was quite the, the trip, I'm sure, because they're hauling ass and they're going down uh, a fire break. On fire breaks, they have these things called water bumps or water water or something. They're, but what they do, they're basically speed bumps. But what they do is they dig out the dirt and they pour it over into a, a pile so okay. that you get a dip and a lift like this. <laughs> send those guys flying out. So I'm sure they were just flying all over the place in that truck and their chainsaws are flying up and down. But they did that so that water would collect there and it would help slow down the fire. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they get about 15 miles down the road. and 15 miles? I, I'm sorry, about 15 minutes down the road, oh. a quarter of a mile. And it took, took a, a, wait, it took them 15 minutes to drive a quarter of a mile? But now think they're on these fire breaks. It's not like driving on the highway. So it's about 15 minutes down the road. I can walk a quarter of a mile in. You can. Less than 15 minutes. They you did can. not. They were in it. Maybe not less than About 15 minutes. Okay, and minutes. two, these guys had just seen a flying saucer. Maybe about who, 10 minutes to walk Who zapped their buddies. So they may be off by a few minutes. Who knows? I mean, but gotcha. the point is... They're down the road. Mike describes it as about 15 minutes. So I'm going with 15 minutes. When Mike realized that the saucer was not following him, he stops the truck. And he tells the guys, we got to go back and get him. And the, the, all his crew is like, no, no, man, it took him. It took him. And Mike said, no, I saw him land after that blast. So Mike tells the men that they can stay there if they want to. They can build a fire and stay there all effing night if they want to. He's going back after Travis. So they all climb back in the truck. No, I take that back. Three of them climb back in the truck. The other two guys stay there. They go back down there, and Travis is gone. The saucer's gone. Travis is gone. And the aliens probably thought, you know what? We got to help this guy. His asshole friends just left him here after we accidentally blasted him with our space ray. So we're going to have to take him in and take care of him. I think one of the guys, one of the guys drive back up and pick up the other guys and bring him back. Mike is there and Mike is screaming. Now remember, not only does this dude work for Mike, but it's also Mike's friend. It's like his best friend. And so Mike, they said was crying Mexicanello. Hola. Uh, Mike is crying uncontrollably. He feels like he's abandoned his best friend. Because he did. And Well, he did, you know, but the dudes, I mean, just, he was in a blind panic, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, no I mean a shark, if a shark came in, I love you more than anyone, <laughs> but if a shark came after you and bit you in half in the middle of the water... I don't think I'm going to try to save you. I'm I'm going for the shore. It's just <laughs> now I might get to the shore and go. Oh shit! I got to go back and get a list. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm in half. I mean, yeah, I'm dead. Yeah, by whichever, the time you make it to the shore, the water's already been chummed, and so okay, other so whichever, sharks are going to have congregated. Whichever half I can get to, I'll bring it back. Oh, fantastic! I'm glad. Okay, so 
anyway, they get back there. They look for him. They can't find him. They're screaming. They're crying. Um, so Ken Peterson says, uh, we have to call the police. So they head into the nearest town, which was Heber, Arizona. And at 745, Ken Peterson calls the undersheriff, Elsie Ellison. And by this point, the men, most of the men are in tears. So they tell Ellison what happened. Ellison doesn't believe the story and notifies his supervisor, Sheriff Marlon Gillespie. So Ellison, Sheriff Gillespie, and Deputy Kenneth Copland drive to Heber to meet with the loggers. They meet up with them, and Gillespie said later he did not necessarily believe the men, but said something was just not right with them. He said these are tough logging men. They're you know they're outdoorsmen. They're rough and tumble, and these guys are bawling their eyes out. They're freaked out. They're scared to death. He said something happened. So the cops, they um, Mike suggests, you know, hey, we got to we got to go back up there and we got to search for him. The cop said, okay, before we do that, he said, uh, he said, why don't we take a look inside the truck and see if we can find any drugs? <laughs> because the story you're telling is pretty whack, you know? So they search the truck, uh, the truck for drugs. No drugs are found. It's because they ditched it on the way to, uh, or sure it they fell did. out and it was hitting those <laughs> bumps. <clears throat> so the men are starting to get frustrated and they're thinking, man, you know, during the day, it's pretty warm up there, but at night, it starts getting really cold. And all Mike was wearing was a Travis. denim. Huh? I'm sorry, Travis. Yes, thank you. Travis was all he was wearing was a denim jacket with and jeans T-shirt, right, or shirt, whatever. Um, they're worried about him getting hypothermia. You know, he's already probably injured from getting blasted away from this this uh, flying saucer. And um, so finally, the cops are convinced enough to start searching for Travis. Mike and other members of the team go back to the site to help search uh, for Travis. Not all of them went. Uh, I think only three actually went back up there. So with, with Mike, so four total. So the other three guys said, deuces, we're out. We're never going back. Bye. Yeah, we're never going back there. So by now the cops are thinking that maybe these guys have killed Travis. They're trying to cover it up with a hoax and they continue the search until midnight. Nobody finds Travis. Mike's telling them, Hey, bring the dogs out and all that. And Gillespie's like, you know, we're going to pause the search until the morning. He, he doesn't think Travis is there. He thinks these guys have killed him, dumped his body somewhere and, you know, covered it up with this. So he pauses the search until morning. And so around 1.30 in the morning uh, on the 6th, which was the next day, Mike and the Deputy Sheriff Copeland drive to Snowflake to tell Travis's mom. Around 3 a.m., she calls Dwayne, which is Travis's older brother, and tells him what's happened. Wait, Wayne? Dwayne. Dwayne. D-Wayne. Okay. Dwayne. And... She tells Dwayne what's happened. Well, when the cops, and one of the things they brought up was that when they told her um, what had happened to Travis, 
His mom says, well, you know, those things happen. What? What? (laughs) So they think because of her reaction that this was a hoax. The cops think even more now that this is a hoax because his mom's not doesn't seem to be concerned. Well, you saw that Philip Class, or whatever you ever much credence you want to his research where he says that Walton told his mother just days before <clears throat> if I get abducted by aliens, don't worry, I'll be back. <laughs> so here's Which is weird. But so but class is he's a class hole. He is a class hole, and I think he is a such a mouthpiece for whatever agency he was working for that they probably had their hand all the way up his butt well, to his know, mouth to I use him like a puppet. I wasn't terribly familiar until tonight I started to read about it. Uh, he always changes, or he's dead now, but changed the story of the explanation as new evidence. Came, you know, it's, oh, yeah. well, it couldn't have been this. It must have been that. Yeah. And he, it, Smear campaigns. Oh yeah, he's, attacks. he's he spent his whole life debunking and and but just not really everything. scientifically debunking. Right, exactly. To debunk, you have to. Right, he didn't produce any evidence to the contrary. He was just and you cannot ignore evidence that which he did, which he did. Yeah. So anyway, but class, yeah, he, regular class hole. So anyway, there was there were several things like that that came up that made the cops think even more. That these guys probably did something nefarious and they uh, were trying to cover it up with this. So the next day during the search, Mike notices these three men. The search started back up the next morning. Mike notices three men dressed in red. He approaches them and asks them what they're doing because he's still out there helping search, right? He said they were checking for radiation. Well, Mike asked who they work with and they didn't answer. They just said, Hey, you know, that's what we do. Look, we look for radiation. They didn't give him an answer of who they work for. So when this happened, Mike thought about it and he said, well, maybe there it's the radiation from this light that came out. And if so, was I close enough that I got some on me? So he said, well, check me out. You know, I was here, you know, when it happened. So they, you know, they run their little thing over in their Geiger counter and, and you know he doesn't he doesn't show hot for radiation or anything, but Mike had been home and took a shower, changed clothes, oh, yeah. and came back. Oh. Right. So he says, "Wait a second. He said all of our hard hats are still in the truck. So he goes to the truck, gets the hard hat, comes back and said, "Hey, here's my hard hat. You know, I was wearing this when it happened, and they check it out and." It lights up the Geiger Could counter. Could you scan the truck? I mean, I don't know. But he scanned the truck itself was ninety feet away. Apparently, I don't. More than likely, probably could have. But he he offered up the the hard hat. It lit it up, and they said, "Okay, that's it, boys." And they leave. And he's like, "Wait a second, you know what? What does this mean? You know, no answer from the guys." So he tells the sheriff, "Hey." This happened. These guys are out here. They, you know, they they zapped my helmet, or they, you know, they checked it out, or my hard hat, and they said, yeah, it was it was radiated. And he says, he said, who are they? He says, the sheriff said, the only people that are out here are people that work for me. He said, I I don't know about any guys in red jackets. It's forestry service land, though, so it's federal government land. So. Yeah.
Somebody was out there. I mean, some so. sort of agency with letters in it. Yeah, more than likely. Um, he said he didn't know who they were or who they worked for um, or anything like that. So, finding no person or evidence of foul play, Sheriff Gillespie again calls off the search. The following day, November 7th, the search party of nearly 50 people scours Turkey Springs area but failed to find Travis. Now, there's 50 people now because this is leaking out into the news by now. This thing goes worldwide. I mean, international news, you know, it's getting everywhere. Um, Because this guy was abducted by a flying saucer, right? And the... um, after a few hours, Travis's mother told him, I don't think there is any use of looking any further. He's not around here. I don't think he's on this earth. That's what the mom said. As a result, Sheriff Gillespie dismissed the volunteers. But the following morning, November 8th, Rogers and Dwayne, Mike Rogers and Dwayne Walton, Travis's oldest brother, complains in person about the discontinued search. As a result, Sheriff Gillespie assembles another search party, which include a huge search party this time. There's volunteers because all these people are coming to this town and helping with the search, right? Or just Googling or whatever, you know. Googling. Uh, yeah. Googling. Yeah. Googling. Oh, Googling. Googling. Goggling. Ogling. Ogling. Rubbernecking. Yeah. Rubbernecking. They want to see the. They want to see the flying saucer. I thought you said googling. I'm like, wait a minute. No, not. For, <laughs> I may have not for like another twenty years before that. Mm. <clears throat> Maybe it was uh, Don Roberto that said that. I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, this thing is a huge search party now. Now they've got all these volunteers on foot. They've got dogs. They've got off-road vehicles. They've got horse-mounted police. They've got helicopters. Everything. Guess what they found. Nada. No Travis, no nothing. No evidence that Travis had been there. Um, Nothing. Dogs don't pick up on the scent. Nothing. Except at the the actual side, of course. And so the sheriff is pretty much convinced by this point that there is no UFO abduction and it's just a distraction. And he figures something worse might have happened to Travis and other than being abducted. So Gillespie and Copeland decided they're going to cut through all the bullshit and get these guys to take a lie detector test. So they all agreed to do a lie detector test. They bring in one of the country's best uh, polygraph examiners. Uh, He comes in and administers a lie detector test to each one of the six crew members. And one by one over the course of a day, each crew member was tested for two hours. Same questions, all focusing on foul play. Five of the six had all shown they were telling the truth, and the sixth person, it was inconclusive. And I don't know which one was inconclusive, but one person showed up inconclusive. Not necessarily that he was lying, but they couldn't say for sure that he was telling the truth. The others, they said, were telling the truth. So this polygraph examiner, so it wasn't just some guy fresh out of school or something, had a 98% accuracy rate. One of the best in the country, and even he would say it would be so difficult to fake that. To have five people cheat the box, it would be almost impossible for no one to slip up. He said, they are telling the truth. So the examiner tells the sheriff, hey, these guys are legit. It really happened. Whatever they're saying, 
either it happened or they believe it happened. It's really that's the important part is that they yeah. believe it. They happened believe for, it happened. Of course, I give sixty forty on a polygraph. It having any accuracy to it at all? I don't. But so even a polygraph. So let's say, let's say we work for an agency that where you're trained to beat the box. We could probably beat the box. You're talking about these are these are lockers. These are just this is your average everyday Joe, and they're kids. I mean, this is not grown. Uh, the oldest one was Mike Rogers. He was only 28 years old. Uh, Travis was 22. These are not kids that have gone through you know rigorous training and learned how to beat the box. These are just you know these are average guys. I, I don't put a whole lot of stock in it one way or the other. If it says it's deception or it says it's not deception, right? It's a polygraph. There's a yeah. reason it's not admissible in court. Well, sure, and agreed. But anyway, be that as it doesn't really prove or disprove anything. Right? No, it doesn't. But for all five people to show that there are six people to say these guys, except for one, and he was inconclusive, but they're like they all passed it. They all passed it. Is the significance of that? Uh, So the course through the course of all this during the police investigation, there were sixteen polygraphs given, and they were all except for one inconclusive, and that was on the initial polygraph. So anyway, um, so now Sheriff Gillespie is like, he's kind of dumbfounded because he is just, he knew these guys were lying. They were up to no good. They had killed Travis and hid the body or something. Something was going on. And now he doesn't know what to do because now it can't be just a pure criminal case. This is something else going on. Travis was missing for five days and six hours. And this is what Travis remembers of what happened while he was gone. Travis wakes up feeling as though he has been burned inside out. And that's the way he described it. It felt like I had been burnt inside and out. I know that feeling after pizza or uh, Mexican <laughs> meal. <laughs> yeah. the exact same I don't, This might be a little bit different. I, I don't know. Maybe it is. That's what the Pentaprazole is for. Pantaprazole again so, rises. And the only memory of he has is right before he blacks out. He knows that something happened to him. He is unbelievably weak and in excruciating pain. But where where did he show back up? So this is this is when he wakes up. Wake he up showed where? up. Travis showed up. Five days and six hours right, later. Right, What, he called from a payphone or something? Like, like where'd he That's come when from? he showed up. Yeah, that's, that's not so, when he woke up. Right. right. So he showed back up where? <clears throat> he showed back up in Heber. In the exact place where he got taken? No. No. I'm getting to that. Okay, sorry. Travis okay. wakes up, and he's in this horrible shape. So he's in pain. He's weak. His vision is blurred. And as it starts clearing... He sees a rectangular light above him, and the room that he's in, as he's looking up at this light above him, he can tell is kind of pie-shaped. Towards his feet, the room oh. is pointed like this, and back this way, it's more of a pizza slice. Baby. Pizza slice, you know? Gotcha. And the... Um, so anyway, he's waking up. He thinks he's in a hospital because he can tell he's really close to this light that's above him. 
So he thinks I must be on an operating table or a hospital bed or something like that. And as he's laying there, he feels something across his chest and his abdomen. Like uh, one of these skin tight ass. Like one of these skin tight ass uh, racerback tees. And so he notices, he looks down and there's this weird looking gray metallic object that's kind of wrapped around his chest and wrapped around his abdomen. And he looks at this thing and he's thinking, well, this is weird. He said, because I still have my shirt on. My denim jacket is still on. He said, I must have been hurt really bad. You know, I was hurt badly because they didn't even have time to get my jacket off of me. They just put this thing on me, right? Which in real life, they cut that shit right off of it. In, like, yeah. Sh- sh- but, in you know, now, I mean, you wake up, you're confused. You know what's going on. I'm sure he was disoriented to some degree. Um, Is it disoriented or disorientated? I've heard it both ways. Now, I, I believe it's disoriented. It's yes. disoriented. But I've heard people who are smarter than me say disorientated. Because they are confused. Okay, good. I'm smarter <laughs> they are, than they them. are mistaken. Right. You're you're smarter than you look, John. <laughs> there you go. So he looks at this thing on his on his chest, and off towards his feet, one on one on the left side, two on the right. There are three uh, three total hospital workers, and he knows they're hospital workers because they got on these like these white masks and caps. And they have, but they got these orange surgical gowns on. And so suddenly his vision clears and these are not doctors or nurses. Mm-mm. So he leaps up from the table. His head was, said he was splitting in pain. And this device that had been around his torso fell off onto the floor. And when it hit the floor, it turned over and this green light shoots up out of it. He said no tubes, no wires connected it to him. And so he stumbles off the table. And as he stumbles over, he bumps into another table that has all these instruments lined up on it. Well, he reaches for one to use for a weapon. And he finds this really thin, looks like he said it appeared to be glass. It's a probe. Tube. Well, it was... Like yay big around, like a, a you know. And he grabs this glass tube and he tries to break it so he can have a sharp object to use as a weapon, you know, to protect himself for defense. And it won't break. He said, but it's just way too light. Now, when he bumped into these guys, because when he got off the table, he bumped into them. And he, as he bumps into him, he said, he hit him with his uh, his forearm. He said he felt like they felt like marshmallows. He said they didn't feel like bumping into me or you or you know normal guy. We feel like, trust me, man. We feel like marshmallows when somebody bumps into us. Look at look at this. So, Stay puffed over here. Stay so anyway, puffed. he bumps into this thing and or these creatures. So he grabs the cylinder. It's about eighteen inches long. He starts swinging it at them, and they're approaching him, but cautiously now. And they're like, you know, they're holding their hands up, like, "Calm down, sir." You know, you're going to get an injection, you know. And uh, so anyway, he says he backed into the, the the wall and he's holding this thing. 
And he says he just, this animalistic snarl comes out of him. And he's literally growling at at these guys. And so they decide we're done with this dude, this human. So they, they run out of the room. And so as he's describing this later in an interview, um, he talked about their clothing and it was this kind of a, a baggy fitting, uh, garment. God, I wish I was wearing a baggy garment right now. So <laughs> this baggy garment and it was, he couldn't tell around the, the feet, but around the, the hands, it was tight. Like, you know, it had elastic in it or whatever. And it had a belt. Um, anyway, these guys, they take off and, uh, run down the hall and he described him and I'm going to read you his description of him. They stood still. They were a little under five feet in height. They had a basic humanoid form, two legs, two arms, hands with five digits each, a head with normal human arrangement of features, but beyond that outline, any similarity to humans was terrifyingly absent. And this is from his uh, book, Travis uh, Walton's book. Their thin bones were covered with a white marshmallowy looking flesh. Uh, they had one single piece coverall type suits made of soft uh, tweed like material, orangish. Tweed. Tweed like material, orangish and brownish in color. So I guess, you know, like a, a woven fabric would be tweed. Uh, remember, this is the 1970s. It's got little <laughs> suede patches on the yeah. elbows. And Probably had a disco, <laughs> disco suit on or something, you know. Disco suit. Um, they didn't have appear to have any buttons or zippers or snaps. They wore no belts. Uh, these loose billowy garments were gathered at their wrists and perhaps the ankles. Uh, they didn't have any kind of raised collar on the neck. They wore simple pinkish tan footwear. I could not make out the details of their shoes, but they had very small feet, about the size of, of uh, about a size four by our our measurements. Um, when they extended their hands toward me, I noticed that they had no fingernails. Their hands were small, delicate, without hair. Their thin, round fingers looked soft and unwrinkled. Their smooth skin was so pale that it looked chalky, uh, he said, like ivory. Uh, their bald heads were disproportionately large for their puny bodies. They had bulging, oversized craniums, a small jaw structure, and an underdeveloped appearance to their features that was almost infantile. Their thin-lipped mouths were narrow. I never saw them open. Uh, lying close to their heads on either side were te- tiny, crinkled lobes of ears. Their miniature, rounded noses had small, oval nostrils. These little humanoids suddenly turned and ran out of the room, and Travis left the room, too. Now, when they went out of the room, they turned right. Travis said, I'm not following in. I'm going the other direction. So he goes, and as he's going down the hallway here, you know, he still doesn't have this balance very well. Uh, his vision's coming and going, you know, being blurred, etc. And so as he's going down the hall, he passes like a couple of rooms. And finally, he says to himself, you know, I need to stop because maybe this is the doorway that I need to go through to get out of this place. So he goes into this first room uh, after that. And as he walks in, he realizes that this room is it's it's round this room is and there's a chair in there so he thinks maybe somebody's sitting in his chair so he's kind of creeping around the chair taking a look nobody's in there 
later he described the chair as having uh, some buttons and well, a... he should have just sat in that chair take control of the whole thing. So, yeah, I, maybe he could have. I don't know. <clears throat> like he's at, he's I don't think pilot. I would try to fly whatever he was in, but... Um, Anyway, he um, as he's standing there in this room, he feels he notices somebody behind him. So he turns and he looks. There's this dude standing in the doorway. And when I say dude, he was about six feet tall, uh, had a helmet on, and this bluish velour-colored uh, velour-like material. Uh, he's wearing black boots and a black band or belt wrapped around his uh waist uh no tools no weapons uh, nothing in his hands no insignia marking his clothing or anything so he runs to him and says man you got to get me out of here there's these weird little creatures blah 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 and this guy grabs him by the arm and pulls him into the hallway with him and they start walking down the hall and this hallway curves around to the right and as they curve past a couple doors they're finally comes to this one room they open the room they go in and they spend about two minutes in there after that two minutes was up the other side of this room the door opens up they go out so i'm thinking maybe like an airlock because he was talking about how hot and hard to breathe it was where he was he said he found it really hard to breathe and it was hot hot and humid just texas in the summer exactly and he could have been you know east texas louisiana so Anyway, they get into this room. They get through the room. When they go out of the room, I hit the Glen oh, Karen. Like, Ding. The uh, timer is up. Um, when they go out, he's they walk in down this slope about eight feet down, steep sloped ramp, and he's in an air like an airplane hangar. And there are several ships in there in the hangar, and they're all kind of just levitating floating suspended however you want to say it but they're just there above the surface and there are different ones there was one craft he said it was approximately uh this as he walks out as to the left he said it was 60 feet in diameter and 16 feet tall so quite a bit larger than the like twice or give or take the size of the about three times the size well eight feet tall so 16 so double the Double the height, but it's 60 in diameter instead of 20. So It's a bomber. Yeah, maybe so. It's I don't know. Fighter. Yeah. But anyway, he sees this one, and then there's three other craft. Um, and this one looked like the one that he saw. There are three other craft off to the left and to the front of him that were, he said it looked like just polished chrome, and these were oval-shaped. So maybe Tic Tacs, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, he sees this. And they walk across this this airplane hangar, and they get across there. They, another door opens up. They go in. They're in another room, and there are three humans in there. There are two males and a female. And Travis describes them. He said, these two men and a woman were standing around a table. They were all wearing this velvety blue uniform like the first guy except they didn't have a helmet on. And the two men had the same muscularity and same masculine good looks as the first man. Was the chick hot? The woman 
also had a face and figure that was the epitome of her gender. There you go. Epitome um, of her gender. Yeah, that was, Travis said, that's how you his, doing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it said they were smooth skin and blemishless. No moles, no freckles, no wrinkles, no scars. Nothing marks her skin. Um, it said the striking good looks of the man I had first met became more obvious on seeing them all together. They shared a family-like resemblance... Although they were not identical, so these are, these are hybrids, or it's he the Von know. Trapp family. It's I don't, yes. I don't know. So anyway, they ease him onto the table, and he didn't resist at first. But when, but as he realized, hey, what are they doing? They're supposed to be getting me out of here. They're supposed to be helping me, and they're not talking to me. They're not speaking. So he's starting to freak out a little bit, and. As he's trying to fight against him, he's still, you know, really weak. They push him back down onto the table. And the woman produces a mask that looks much like a a, uh, a Venturi mask that we go over. What do you call it? You mean an oxygen, one of those. Yeah, an oxygen mask. mask yeah. I'm sorry. So an oxygen mask. That, yeah. That's right. a fancy designer Italian version. <laughs> no, that's just the name for it. Anyway, there's no tubing running to this. There's nothing like that. But there was a black golf ball size object that was attached to the mask. She placed it over his face, and as soon as she put it over his face, he immediately blacked out. So when he wakes up again, he was face down on a deserted stretch of black top. He rolled over in time to see the light diminish and, st- and black out on a craft that was flying off. So it was either he said it was either a hatch closing or it was a light going out on the craft as it took off. And he assumes that this is a craft that that deposited him on the on the blacktop. And so he's like saying he's laying face down. Um, he looks forward and he sees another craft and he said this one was about 60 feet wide and he said he knew this because it stretched over the road that was in front of him and there was actually a cutaway from the side of the I guess the mountain cliff whatever and it almost touched that he said this thing just sat there for a second and then it just shot up into the air and he said he remembered being so fascinated that this thing could shoot up that fast without making any sound, without disturbing the air. It's just like, and it's gone. And it was a, a reflective coating on this craft that was in front of him. And he said he knew that because he could see the lines on the road reflecting off of the craft. And so he, where they put him down... He was just across the bridge from uh, Heber, Arizona. And it was, I think he said it was like a quarter mile to walk from there to the, the Exxon station. So he walks to the Exxon station and he's, uh, he said there were three different phones uh, there at the station. And this is back when you could just pick up a, you know, a phone and 
hit zero and get an, and operator, get an operator. You know, and I need to place collect that calls. Would, so that tells you how long ago this was because now, or well, well, there are no payphones. No, there are no payphones anymore. And even when I was a kid, you had to put a quarter in before you could get an operator. You know, or put coins in to get an operator, and then you could make a collect call. You remember? Do you remember that? Man, it's been so long since I've even seen a payphone. I know, right? It's been a good 25 years since I've seen a payphone. So anyway, the first person that he gets through to um, was his cousin Grant. Now, I don't know why he called Grant instead of his brother or his mother or his friends or whatever. Um, But he calls them, talks to Grant, and Travis tells him, they brought me back and grant since this is his cousin and you've had this ungodly unbelievable media circus going on thinks this is another prank call because obviously they've they've had a few of them and so he's fixing to hang up on him and he says no 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 he said this is travis he said they brought me back he told him where he was and so Grant went and got Dwayne to tell Dwayne. And Dwayne thinks that, you know, this guy who calls is full of shit too, but. They don't recognize his voice? Here's the thing. He's been out of commission for five days. His voice probably hasn't been used in five days other than the, the momentary interaction he had with the the aliens and you know so maybe he hasn't talked and i know after surgery or anything like that you know how you're you're so dry and cracked oh yeah, yeah. so maybe you know maybe that's why he didn't recognize his voice. i don't know i wasn't there and i didn't i didn't get to ask grant why he didn't recognize his voice but anyway he tells Dwayne. so Dwayne and travis are like you know what you know this might be just somebody pulling a prank and so, and if it is, we'll just, you know, whip their ass when we get there, I guess. But uh, anyway, they go uh, to pick up Travis. And so they get there, and Travis is relaying the story to Dwayne and Grant, uh, thinking that he must have been unconscious for a few hours since he noticed the time, and the time was just after midnight. And he's like, he said, man, he said, he said, I must have been out for a long time. He said, because, you know, I can remember about, you know, 30 minutes, an hour or so of interaction between me and these things. But, you know, here it is 12 o'clock. So, I, you know, I must have been passed out the whole time. And Dwayne said, dude, he said, feel your face. So Travis reaches up. And touches his face, and he's shocked because he had just shaved that morning before he'd gone to work, and he had a week's worth of growth on his face from his beard. And that's when Dwayne explained to him, "Dude, you've been you've been gone. For- you've been missing for five days. Five, five days. days, and he did. You know, he had no idea because he'd been out the whole time, or." If he wasn't out, he doesn't remember it, you know, for whatever reason. Or it's like what? Remember when we talked to Bonnie about it, and she said that time just it did it it wasn't a thing when you know during her situation that it 
time is not like oh, it is there's here. There's all kinds of theories about how yeah. you have time dilation or you yeah. know things Missing like that. Time. <laughs> so, who knows? I mean, but I don't know. I think this is a really fascinating story because. So what happened to him post? Like the, that man. I mean, I could go on for we could go on for hours on this because when he gets back, they don't take him directly to the police they take him to the hospital first to get him checked out his brother well yeah because his brother picks him up and he goes dude you're not going to the police you're, i'm taking you getting you checked out you've been gone for five days you look like shit and i you know I'm you don't know about where you. you've been we you don't, don't know, know where you've been, been. Wait, exactly. we need to check your uh we need to check make sure you haven't been probed <laughs> <laughs> We need to run an No puncture marks, uh, no. Make sure you haven't had a colonoscopy. Yeah. You know? No, but so they take him to the doctor, and it was Dr. Uh, God, I can't remember the name. Dr. Saltz and Kendall. Kendall was one of the doctors that checked him out. Saltz was the other doctor. They checked him out. They couldn't find anything wrong with him. Um, he He wasn't malnourished. He wasn't dehydrated. He had no injuries. Now, remember, he got blasted with electricity right. or whatever that was that blasted him and threw him over there. He landed on his shoulder. Flying 10 foot and landed on your shoulder, you're going to have a bruise probably or at least some scratches, right? Nothing. Pain. Something. Uh, something. Um, but they said he had one puncture mark. In the antecubital portion. The what? Antecubital, the AC. AC, the antecubital. It's the part where your elbow bends on the inside right here. Let's freaking call it the inside of your elbow. <laughs> the proper name for it is the antecubital. Quit showing. Y'all quit showing off. And nobody's showing <laughs> off. It's just knowledge, Don't you feel smarter dude? now that you know? I will not remember. Whatever. We have Maybe you a, use terms all the time that I don't know. in his nasolabial fold. <laughs> What's that? So See, I know sick. exactly what it Asian is. Knows I know what it is. I made a hundred and uh, AMP. But anyway, <laughs> I know I'm a nerd. Whatever. I, I can memorize shit too. <laughs> whatever. But you, I mean, you say stuff all the time, and I'm like, what? Because I don't know it. So he had a puncture mark. He had a puncture mark on the. On the, bi- on the bendy part of his army. <laughs> where they stick you to take where blood. They, where they stick you in your army, they, they had in the bendy part, he had a hole. Well, I'm so, saying most people are not going to know the anti-cubicle or whatever the fuck you Right, I got you. <laughs> okay, so anyway. That's anterior crucial. Okay, everybody, right there. Right there. AC That's what it was. anterior crucial. So... Your ACL? Yeah, I've torn That's mine AC, before. AC, ACL. Different. Yes. AC is air conditioning. Oh, uh. it is. Okay. Anyway, they take him to the hospital. Nothing's wrong with the guy except for that one little spot right there on his arm, or it could have been the right arm. I don't know. Um. Anyway, he um. And that was the deal with with Dwayne. He wanted to take him there first because he knew that it would be forever before he got to to get treated. You know, at a hospital or something. If he took him to the police first. So, or the sheriff, whatever. So, did they go to the police? They did, yeah. And, they and said, showed, hey, hey, by the way, see, we didn't hey, kill him. He's I still here. want to get your buddies off the hook for murder. Yeah, he's he's not dead. He's here. Well, here he is. 
I don't know. I might let them sweat it a few more days because they abandoned me in the woods. Yeah. Do you know, in an interview later, and this is with Larry King, Larry King asked him uh, straight up, he goes, uh, you remember, live, was it live with Larry King? Or Larry late? King Live. Larry, King, Larry live. King Live. And he asked him, he said, well, what do you think about your buddies running off and leaving you? And he said, man, he said, I, I forgive them. I mean, God, think about what they experienced. They saw me get zapped and... I mean, you know, blind panic does take over at times and people are like, oh my God, you know, they're completely freaked out. And so I get it. I see how it could happen, you know? Like, yeah, I, don't, I, I get it. No, I, I do. Yeah, I do. If you an know? alien ship zaps you, I'm going to, after I finish getting video of everything, <laughs> I'm going to try to pull your fat ass into the car, <laughs> into the truck. Before I drive but, away, and leave but first, you. if he can find but you, at the but time first, I'm gonna be like this. Like, he gonna be oh, doing like this, taking a selfie. We're gonna be live streaming this. Yeah, shit, you know, he going. Oh, that alien kicked his ass. World star, world star. Three B paranormal spirits. Yo. <laughs> if he can find you, he's gonna drag you. Yeah, he can drag my fat ass. Know, I've seen. I've but seen, it, we've seen one before. It's not a sense of panic or anything that I got from it. it was a sense of uh, an almost religious experience, like this. Overwhelming, I agree. Like, well, I was. Wow. A, I was. I wasn't a kid. scared at all. I was a kid when I saw mine. mine. I wanted to come well, back. At least I was my like, first come one. Back, turn around north. Come back. I want to see you again. I, I don't remember being terrified, but I didn't see it fly down there and zap my buddy and knock him across the the way. You know the way. As long as there's no probing, maybe. I mean, I'd be okay with it. You'd be okay I with it. Did you just say you'd be ship. okay with the probing? No, not with the probing. I, what? What if she's if, a hot alien? Well, maybe you? that one you talked about the. In the blue velour tracksuit. <laughs> it was a, a credit to her gender. <laughs> a credit to her gender. The fembot or whatever the that fembot. was. <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you, if if you knew you were going to get to see the inside of a spaceship and all that, you were going to get I'm to see I'm glad you the, went to spaceship. This, Go ahead. This stuff up close, right? Mm-hmm. Would I Would let you? them probe me? If, no, no, no. There's no probing. We're, not, the, we're, we're letting go of the probing, gentlemen. That's the admission price to get into there's, the there's spaceship. No probing, Would you be okay, okay with the abduction? <laughs> Wouldn't even be abduction. We'd be like, holy shit, you're an alien. But, Show me around. Okay, so but what okay, fun- you can get on the ship. You can get on the ship, but you got to get probed first. Mm, <laughs> well, I don't know. Is that probe well, curve where it hits your... The, no. Where... <laughs> There was a fun fact that you told me that happened or did not happen to him after this. Oh, yeah. So this guy, Travis Walton, is... So everybody thinks that, you know, oh, my God, you know, they took you and, you know, and all this. But here's what Travis thinks. He thinks that he doesn't believe that they tried to harm him. What he thinks is that when so as this thing started wobbling, he hops down behind this this fell tree and he's kind of ducked down like this, right? And sitting there wobbling and and charging up or whatever it's doing because the the volume's getting louder on this thing, right? And so when he stands up, that's when he gets zapped, right? He thinks 
possibly it could have been static electricity. Like Guy had suggested, unintentional injury. So Dis- they brought him in to, to, to help him out. Him yes. Help him. Yeah. That's what Travis thinks it was. He said, if that had not happened, he said, I probably would have died. Or maybe he said, I did die. I don't know. Right then. Right. He said, if they'd have left and my buddies grabbed me and threw me in the truck, I would have been long gone before I ever got to the hospital. So he thinks that they probably did something to help him out. Yeah. They accidentally harmed him. They accidentally harmed him. They helped him. Now, here's the, the cool part about this. So Travis, ever since that time, has never had has never had one sick day from work, has never never called in for work because he has he was sick, never had a cold, never had a flu, never had any so they, kind of ailments. They did help him. Yeah, That's like what I'm permanently, apparently. Yeah. Like it they cured him, him of uh, all ailments, all human ailments. And he has gone now. He has died. No, he's no, still he's still alive. alive. He's still alive. No, here's mm-hmm. a picture of him in 2019 at the International UFO Congress in Phoenix, Arizona, looking oh yeah, awfully spry. I would agree <laughs> for his age. How old is he? Oh, you said he was 22. You're the math. He'd be in his 70s now. Yeah, he's 22 in 1975. He'd be in his early 70s. Okay, um. The only thing that is weird to me is, A, his descriptions mm-hmm. sound like something straight out of a 1960s or 70s. I think he's 70. Straight up 70. Movie. Like, B movie. Okay. They were wearing what? blue velour jumpsuits and, and orange jumpsuits. What if, what if they do, though? Why? I mean, what if what if the B movies in the sixties and seventies so got it right? The very human looking at the Nords or whatever are actually Guidos from New Jersey wearing velour tracksuits. And <laughs> forget about it. I'm not. I'm not. Right? <laughs> I, it just we seems have, like something off of the set of uh, Austin Powers or something. But we have no idea what they really look like or what they wear. You know. Yeah. It, that is odd. The descriptions of the costumes is—I I don't know—but also, so he's describing, I guess, Greys and Nords together on the same, in the same base or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. It's interesting. I don't well, know. Maybe they I mean, aren't the, Nords. The, well, the Nords are. Or, so they're like hybrids? Maybe. Why not? Well, the greys are usually uh, so if the greys sort are, of the ambivalent ones, right? So, so the Nords are the benevolent, the greys okay. are the ambivalent, and the reptilians are the uh, the, the, nasty the malevolent. Ones. Okay. So how about this as a <clears throat> as a, uh, a hypothesis, okay? So you've got the greys who've been abducting people and doing experiments Zeta all these years. They come from Zeta Reticula. Yeah, okay. Whatever. The words come from the Pleiades constellation. <laughs> okay. If you want to get specific. <laughs> no, I don't because nobody knows and that's all what people say and what well, people think. Means- we, there's no proof of any of it, but my point is, let's say, let's say Grays have been taking and we've been developing these hybrids all these years. So maybe these that look like humans or like we look you know, more or less, except they don't have any blemishes there. There's nothing wrong with them. Maybe these are hybrids, you know? 
maybe these are hybrids with Nords. Maybe the maybe the Greys have developed these. Maybe they cloned them or whatever. You know, grew them in test tubes and grew them up into servants for them or whatever. Who you know? Or yeah, uh, could be Nord human hybrids. The Nords are like could be. I mean, the, could be the anything. Description of the perfect skin and everything mm-hmm. is very so. The do we believe that Walton is telling the truth? Do we believe that Walton believes? I believe Absolutely. Walton believes. Absolutely. I believe Walton believes. Okay, so we be, do we believe that Walton's six buddies believe? <sighs> Who knows? They weren't there because they ran off like a bunch of pussies. <laughs> no, they did not. They came back. But but the thing is, they've never changed their story. It's been almost 50 years. You can't now. Yeah, you can. You can rat things I mean, somebody could, I out. I guess you could deathbed confession. Yeah, absolutely. They're not quite to that age yet. No, but they ain't, they ain't far off. I mean, come on. You know, and then you could have your own book about how you kept the secret for, you know, 48 years or whatever. Or 50 years, whatever. I just I love know. that nothing ever changed. Like, I know. They, did, they never changed their stories. Ever. There was no. No. What no. now is the price of admission? If you get the probe, but you get perfect health into, I mean, Oh, sign me up. Sign uh, you me can, up. You could probe me if, you go, if I'm going to be as healthy as Travis Walton is. <laughs> sign me, t- sign me up. In 20 years. You know, <laughs> 20 years from now. Right. Consider what my blood pressure has been reading lately. <sighs> exactly. Okay. Well, That's I for one. It's such a fascinating story. It is a fascinating story. Has and, anybody gone back like years later because... You know, I, there's uh, to that site to that site. Oh yeah, and rate and tested it. That I don't know. Tested, taken soil samples. I don't know. The um, because that, depending on what kind of radiation it was, that half life could. St- I mean, it could still be there. Could still be there. Absolutely. Um, no, I don't know if they did or not. Um, oh, sorry. To the witching hour. That's my G Shock announcing the witching hour. <laughs> okay. Well, I for one believe Travis's story. I believe that I believe he was abducted or rescued. However you want to put think, it, I like the rescued part. I that, think he, I like that. Okay, well, I think that that's what happened. And honestly, I do. I think that's the one that makes the most sense. Nobody expected this fool to jump out of the truck and come running right up no. next to the thing. No, and who knows what they were doing there? You know. Um, his he believes that they could have been looking for. I'm going to mess this word up. Fulgurite. Have you heard it? It's the. It is the fusion of silica sand when uh, lightning strikes there. Okay. Oh, okay. So it's oh, yeah, dragon glass. glass. Yeah. Uh, what do they call it? Uh, Something kind of lightning. It's fossilized lightning. That's yeah, what they yeah, call it. Yeah, yeah, what, That's one of the nicknames for it. And the fossilized lightning, he said, it creates this crystal. And maybe they were looking for that. And there's lots and lots of lightning strikes in that area. It's, it is as, cool if you've ever seen Have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. realize that's what it was called. I just figured it was a... Yeah. It's fossilized it, fossilized it lightning awesome is the nickname. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, 
so I he said maybe they were looking for that, and I just happened to show up at the wrong place they were at the wrong time. For, that for decorative pieces for their coffee tables. Here's here's one thing he said though. He said he's been asked several times if you had to do it over again, if you had that opportunity, would you do it? And he said no. He said he wouldn't do it. Really? Really? Uh-uh. Even for the perfect health? No, because it too negatively negatively impacted his, his life. life here's yeah. another question what military bases are in that oh i don't know i mean i don't know i'm looking where it is it, where where this turkey springs is it's it's a long way from area 51 um i don't know what's out there there's some mayor bases in new mexico oh yeah i'm sure this arizona but anyway so, I believe that, that Travis's story is is legit. Um, you believe it's legit? I do, absolutely. You believe it, John? I mean, I'll give it 70-30. Okay. Um, I do believe that I like uh, Don Roberto. I do, too. I give that 100, 100%. 100% I like that. I do. Wobbly <laughs> bottle and all. We below. All right. Remember to go to all the places. TikTok, Twitter. Instagrams, the YouTubes. We're, remember, we're 3B Paranormal on YouTube and Paranormal Dash Spirits on underscore dash underscore spirits on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe. And subscribe. You never know. Subscribe, Next time, subscribe. Be I know, right? Oh, God. Might as well be. We might be. Yeah. So, and you can pick up your own uh, Squatch Gotta Eat. <laughs> Yeah, or Race you can get back. a Pazuzu for president Paz- in a normal shirt that does Pazuzu for president exposure back here. <laughs> All right, or you could get one of the cute little squeaky 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 with Winston Winston. with Winston. <laughs> All right, y'all have a good night. Thank you. Good night. I totally think that that dude was picked up by a blind saucer. I like to think that they did take him in there to heal him because they didn't mean to hurt him. I, I really do. Well, he said I like that he believes that's what happened. He says, I raised up. He said, at the wrong place, wrong time. He said, when I raised ah! up, he said, they just, you know, but that.